tavern and mortally wounded the celebrated Jeb Stewart. When Jubal Early threatened Washington in July 1864, President Abraham Lincoln, General Ulysses Grant, and War Secretary Edwin Stanton decided that the Shenandoah Valley had to be cleared of rebel armies. They combined four military departments and made Sheridan commander of some of the best fighting men in the Union Army. Sheridan had impressed Grant at Missionary Ridge, and later, too, when he transformed the Cavalry Corps into a mobile strike force. He was increasingly seen as a man who got things done fast, a man who could think on his feet. He was small, five foot five at most, and thin but wiry and broad-shouldered. His men called him Little Phil. On horseback, Sheridan appeared larger because his torso and arms were disproportionately long and his legs were short. He possessed incredible stamina that enabled him to function at a high level without sleep or food. For a man of slight stature, Sheridan's appearance was striking. With his heavy arched brows, piercing tartar-like hazel eyes, chin beard, and curling mustache, he bore a strong resemblance to a Mongolian horse soldier. He kept his hair cropped short because he hated his curls. Someone once observed that his hair looked painted on— a southern civilian declared Sheridan the most savage-looking man he had ever seen, but then related a kindness that Sheridan had shown him. In the Shenandoah Valley, Sheridan became a favorite of Lincoln and Grant, not only because he struck hard and won battles, but also because he believed, as they did, in ruthlessly waging a total war on all of the Confederacy's resources. They, along with Major General William Tecumseh Sherman, believed that destroying the enemy's army, burning his farms, killing his livestock, hanging his guerrillas, and freeing his slaves would win the war quicker and save lives. As he strode through Winchester's streets on Rienzi, his big warhorse, seventeen hands high or nearly six feet at the withers, Sheridan noticed that townswomen were standing in the windows and doors shaking their skirts at us and otherwise markedly insolent in their demeanor. Initially, he thought nothing of their behavior. But when the sound of artillery fire grew louder at the edge of town, he began to wonder whether the women had been in raptures over some good news, while I as yet was utterly ignorant of the actual situation. He knew that a 19th Corps detachment was conducting a reconnaissance that morning, but the gunfire seemed to suggest a large-scale engagement not a skirmish. Sheridan was correct in surmising that the rebel women knew something that he did not. Mrs. Hugh H. Lee wrote in her diary that earlier that morning, the glorious news that Early had routed two-thirds of Sheridan's army had reached Winchester. After riding a short distance farther, Sheridan leaned forward and listened intently, wrote Major George A. Sandy Forsyth, an aide. He was trying to locate and interpret the gunfire. Then, he dismounted and placed his ear near the ground, seeming somewhat disconcerted as he rose again and remounted. Alarming signs began to appear as they traveled south on the valley turnpike. A supply train bound for the front lines was stopped in the road, seemingly in great confusion. Sheridan sent Forsyth ahead to find out what was wrong. The quartermaster told Forsyth that an officer from the front had warned him to turn back. The army had been attacked and was being driven down the valley. From the crest of the next ridge, everything became shockingly evident. Spread before them was the appalling spectacle of a panic-stricken army. 
Sheridan ordered most of his escort to remain on the ridge. He sent instructions to Colonel Oliver Edwards, who commanded a 6th Corps brigade in Winchester, to deploy a straggler line across the valley turnpike to stop fleeing soldiers, yet to allow wagons to pass through so they could park north of town. Then, with Major Forsyth, Captain Joseph O'Keefe, and a dozen troopers, Sheridan rode on at a fast trot, gray dust rising in a plume in their wake. They met a flood of men and wagons headed toward the rear, and soldiers who had stopped beside the road to brew coffee. Sheridan shouted to them, Turn back, men, turn back, face the other way. When the soldiers saw the towering charger, bearing the familiar fierce-featured man in the flat-brimmed hat, an echoing cheer arose. God damn you, don't cheer me, Sheridan shouted at them. If you love your country, come up to the front. God damn you, don't cheer me. There's lots of fight in you men yet. Come up. God damn you.